advisors want to build a scalable practice but aren't always sure what to do next. Welcome to Outcomes, the podcast designed to help advisors think, make decisions, and cast a vision to create a business for the future. Here's your host, Ross Marino, financial planner, author, speaker, and CEO of Advisor2x. Welcome to Outcomes, the podcast. Today, I'm joined by Aaron Hall, Managing Director with SRP. Hi, Aaron. Hi, Ross. So glad to be here. Originally from New York, but now you're in Southern California, living, working. You brave the traffic to do business, and then no longer are you braving traffic. You're all of a sudden on Zoom. Well, life is opening back up again, so what are you going to do? Oh man, I have a joke going with my business partner. I never want to see people again, right? At least not face to face. I love this uh, virtual medium. Uh, we're just so productive. I'm sure you find the same, right? Just so productive. And, uh, you know, the adjustment to being able to deliver client meetings on Zoom is, uh, is working really well. So many clients have gone through the same thing we have of seeing the jump in productivity. And as I thought through it, I thought if we were comparing in face to Zoom or person to person to Zoom, we would probably do pluses and minuses. But all of a sudden there is no face to face, probably a little easier to adopt Zoom. I dove all in. I made it mandatory on my end. How are your clients reacting to that? Yeah, it's a great point. If uh, if someone had had given me the option of, hey, have you considered going to a virtual model pre-pandemic? I would have been a hard no way. So this has forced me and everybody right to dive in and understand this medium. And now that we're in, I just the water's warm. I just love it, and our clients like it too. They they don't mind. I, we've gotten feedback. They don't they don't mind this medium. And um, I calculated. <clears throat> that uh, each, my business partner and I, again, we're in Los Angeles. So it, uh, it took us about an hour, excuse me, 160 hours a year. We were on the road. That's about four weeks uh, each. So we've been able to parlay that time into productive time and uh, enhance our service deliverables for our clients. Um, and we've come to the agreement with clients, most clients, that we're going to keep this medium. And I could not be more excited. I'm wearing jeans and and sneakers, and that, that works A-OK for me. The last time we spoke, you weren't in jeans and sneakers. You were actually <laughs> preparing for adult kickball. So this is a thing? Yeah. This is a major thing. In fact, if my vo- voice is a little hoarse, it's because we played last night, 6-0 and playoffs next week. So everyone, keep your fingers crossed. Um, yeah, no, it's a thing. We've been doing it now for seven or eight years, and and we're kind of like always the bridesmaid, never the bride. We've we've gone undefeated in seasons and lost in the playoffs. Um, we've never taken home a league championship, uh, and uh, yes, it is. It's the most fun I have by by a mile, a country mile, and we're so excited to have it back now that the you know now that the restrictions are lifting. Well, in this part of the country, pickleball is all the rage, and I know it's a rage all over the rest of the country. I don't think uh, kickball has gotten here yet, but uh, are you a pickleballer too? Ross, I am not a pickleballer, but my mother will (laughs) plays pickleball twice a day, five or six days a week, and she would play it eight days a week. Um, Yes, I'm very aware of pickleball. They're converting courts uh, in in our town here in, in El Segundo, California. So it's reached the West Coast. I'm very familiar with pickleball. And once my uh, once my kickball career is over, I think I'll transition over. I'll Sounds have a good exciting. coach. <laughs> Love it. So 
you're juggling work, you're juggling family as well. You know, talk about how you balance the two and how you get work done at home. Do you have a particular style that you do? Yeah, you know, I never say that you can find work-life balance. There's no balance. Uh, it's really about harmony. And so what, to your point, like what works in this environment? Uh, I have two young kids, an eight-year-old and a very soon-to-be five-year-old. Her birthday is in two weeks. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, school and still at home and things like that. My husband's a stay-at-home dad. So I, I structure my work where I get about five hours of work done during the day. And I work after they go to bed. I absolutely, I'm a total night owl. I love working at night. I love diving into a project. Um, there are plenty of nights that, you know, I'm, I'm calling it quits at 12.31 a.m. Um, but it's how I get my best work done. I've always been like that uh, through college and whatnot. So this works for me. And I have my home office. I don't have to drive anywhere. So I've really been able to dive into that. And it, it works for me. I love it. Yeah, everybody's got to find their rhythm. I think it was Lisa Petronio when we did an interview oh really talked about harmony. And uh, I love the way she explained that because I remember hearing years ago that there really is no balance. You know, you have to be centered. You have to integrate it and, and make sure everything works together and kind of take some guilt off, which I think is a, a great way to go. But, you know, the challenge with your typical quick starts and high achievers is something catches us, we start geeking out about it. And, and then we're just all in. And um, I know late at night, Aaron, you're geeking out. So uh, what are you geeking out about right now? I am geeking out right now. I am totally geeking out on the new cybersecurity regulations the Department of Labor came out with in April of 2021. Um, yeah, I geeked out. I wrote a white paper. Uh, it's up on LinkedIn. And our firm has always believed at SRP, Lisa, also an SRP uh, managing director and in Buffalo. Um, by the way, I was Rochester, New York, so the Western New York. Anyway, uh, so uh, so at our firm, we've always believed that cybersecurity is a, a fiduciary duty. So every two years, we've been doing cybersecurity RFIs with record keepers and then presenting that data, uh, like going through SAC reports and stuff with planned sponsors. So we were 90% of the way down this year's iteration of that when the DOL guidelines came out. Uh, so we got all excited and took the RFI responses that we had already had from record keepers. Um, I created a white paper, as I mentioned, and then we've got a complete deliverable package that is ready to go for clients to comply with all of the suggestions and regulations, um, even down to like fillable uh, contract specific RFI uh templates for the record keepers to fill out and, and being able to educate and learn something about their record keeper, comparing them to other record keepers in the industry, which I think is one of the coolest pieces that we have in the Department of Labor recommends is that you not only need to dive into what your record keeper is doing, but you need to know what the rest of the industry is doing. Like, for example, if I told you we scored four runs in kickball last night, is that good or bad? You'd ask, well, how many did the other team score? three and we won. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, so you got to compare it to something. And so we have that data that we've created proprietarily to be able to make the comparison. So uh, yeah, just before this call, I was actually on the line with a number of other managing directors explaining the deliverable that our subcommittee did. So yeah, I'm, I just, I think it's great when we can provide our clients with this, uh, you know, with this information, that's what they pay us for. But to be, it, it's great to be in a position to be able to do that and really help make sure that at the end of the day, it's to make sure that none of their participants are subject to these awful situations where, you know, a terminated participant 
goes and checks their balance and finds that, you know, six figure balances have been stolen, that the feeling they must have of emptiness of going, wait, what? And then having to, to figure out what happened and then, and then recover those dollars. And in some cases be told, well, from the record keeper, well, we'll give you back the taxes, but you're going to have to, you know, that's identity theft. Sorry. Uh, And then them going to their plan sponsor. I just, I just feel so much angst for people that have gone through that and wanting to make sure that none of our participants in any of our plans, at least put them in the best situation so that that doesn't happen to them. As you went through the process of reviewing the RFIs and drawing conclusions, was there anything that jumped out at you or that you found a little surprising when you went through it? Yeah, we went through, of course, you know, what kind of an audit do you have? Um, and the most have, actually most have a couple of different types, multi-type audits. SOC 2 type 2 being the best in class, about, about 60% have SOC 2 type 2. I was shocked at some of the record keepers that have maybe just a SOC 1 type 1 or a SOC 1 type 2. Um, that was very interesting. The other really notable thing was the, the security measures that record keepers have in place when a participant calls in which is where some of this identity theft really happens versus stealing a password. It's, you know, impersonating them when they call in. A shocking percentage, like about half, only request uh, personally identifiable information, PII. And if you have the answers to what street did you grow up on or, you know, what's the last word of your social security number and what's your address, you can get access. Uh, it was pretty shocking that some of them only have PII questions. Versus the more technical ones have, you know, pin drop technology and voice identification technology, technology that doesn't just, um, some will, you know, you'll do a voice recording and that's your pin. Some even can tell if your voice is, uh, you know, if you're delayed in what you say as if you're reading something or, you know, it's not genuine, the pitch of your voice gives away that you're, you know, not genuine. Very interesting at the, the wide range of technology, technological uh, advances and who is and who is not adopting those. I remember when two-factor authentication started and mm-hmm. just being blown away at how simple and how brilliant that was by just making someone have their cell phone eliminated an amazing percentage of fraudulent activity. Yeah, And it, it was just that simple. So I'm sure you can do it on the call-in as well in some Sorry. way. Right. I'm sure it has to be in there. Now, I know the people who actually work on this think, Ross, you have no idea what you're talking about. Well, you're right. <laughs> I have no idea, but I'm an entrepreneur. So I believe it's simple. So they, right. they, it's simple. Somebody, <laughs> somebody out there knows how to remove the obstacles. That's what entrepreneurs do. And they can make it simple. Having a pin, things like that. I mean, this isn't, those aren't heavy lifting things for people to do. So it seems like it would be pretty intuitive. Uh, you think they're going to be required in the near future? Or where does this go? I think the the new guidelines will help drive change even more. So, you know, cyber moves so quickly uh, as far as, you know, what these bad actors come up with next. Um, Some do have the technology where, yeah, you can, uh, you even call in and they'll give you a code. I I think it's incredible the the speed at which this is moving. And I absolutely think that these guidelines are going to drive questions to the record keepers that now they're going to have to answer, especially in comparison to their peers. And we're going to see a jump in those security measures. Absolutely. So you wrote a white paper. That's pretty awesome. Is a book next? 
A book is next. Yes, that's the other thing that I'm currently geeking out on. Uh, I'm writing a book for plan sponsors um, that I'm pretty excited about. You got to give me more than that. <laughs> <laughs> so the the book is uh, it's something that I'm really passionate about. You know, I've done this for about 20 years and I have found when I meet with uh, clients or prospective clients when I'm referred in, and I'm sure your listeners will agree, you know, you get in there and, and you find out about, you know, you uncover a couple things about the plan and you find out that they're paying market rate, maybe sometimes more than market rate right? And they're getting a very bare minimum of service, you know, by a, a two plan Tony or a two plan Tanya, right? And so what I found is plan sponsors, especially under 2025 20, million, so many are just completely underserviced, but they don't know because you don't know what you don't know. And a 401k plan is kind of a, you know, if it ain't broke, don't break it kind of a thing. Business owners have a lot to worry about, especially, you know, coming out of a pandemic, uh, so the goal of the book is to give uh, insights and some signs that maybe you're, you're being underserviced and an opportunity of how can I expect more from my retirement plan advisor. And the goal is to enlighten plan sponsors to understand what great looks like and that there are hundreds, if not a couple thousand specialist advisors that would be happy to service these plans for the same or sometimes less cost. Who doesn't want more for less? Love it. How about one of the signs? Uh, let's see. One of the signs uh, that you're not working with a specialist is that your advisor doesn't represent themselves as a retirement plan advisor online. So go to the your advisor's LinkedIn page or their even their corporate website. What do they lead with? If they're leading with wealth management, they're an occasionalist or a generalist. Um, they're probably not a specialist. Yeah, that, that's a, a giveaway for a lot of people. It's also a call to action for the ones that actually have two separate divisions that do good work, but because the website has always been wealth management, it's just a tab. And, mm -hmm. and I think there are some firms out there where the 401k or the retirement plan advice is just a tab, but they're doing good work anyway. Yeah. So I think it's wonderful for them to hear it as well that, listen, if you're just a tab on a website, people may not necessarily believe that you really have a fiduciary process and you work that way and you're a specialist, et cetera. So I think that's great. It's just great advice out there. So how about one more? I don't want to blow the whole book, but how about one more? That was a good one. Okay. Uh, another sign that you're not working with a specialist is you're not getting the 10 basic uh, services from your advisor. And so I have a checklist that are the 10 basic fiduciary services. This is like check the box stuff. Uh, things like, you know, do you have an investment policy statement? Do you have committee charter documents? Are you getting fiduciary training in your reviews? Do you have uh, great draft uh, or meeting minutes? You know, and meeting minutes aren't always created equal, right? But are you even getting meeting minutes from your advisor? Those type of things. I think that's fairly common as you go up market, but you're not necessarily a mega plan advisor. Where are you working with your practice? Yeah, no thank you to all, uh, to all of you working in the 100 million and above plan space. Um, have at it. I have a lot of respect for what you're doing, uh, dealing with those very complicated committees and, uh, and things. I found that the fee compression at that level is so much um, that I'm very comfortable in the, in the 50 million and below space. Our average client is about 12 million. 
Um, I have a really good friend who uh, we were at a conference and she was really excited because they had just won a $600 million plan. And I said, wow, that's so amazing. Congratulations. If I can ask, how much do you charge for a $60 million plan? And she said $75,000. And I, when I say I almost fell out of my chair, I literally mean I, I stumbled for a second and I was like, that's it? I could have three $10 million plans and make that much and have a lot less headache. So for me, that's what works for us. Um, you know, all the AUMs and the, you know, the billion dollar practices. Um, I, I know you're doing great work. It's just a different pond that um, I, my goal really is to help these underserviced plan sponsors, uh, you know, get, get what they're paying for. Well, to find your lane and stay in your lane is yeah. always great advice for business, right? Yeah. Well, you uh, you also give back. So I know you're connected with the, the Women in Retirement Conference and mentorship. Can, can you talk a little bit about what you're doing and what the organization's doing? Oh, happy to. So uh, the ARA has created the Women in Retirement Council, which is across all of the sister organizations at ARA. And I am involved with, um, with the R Women in Retirement Conference. We call that WORK. And we do a number of things. So there's an annual conference. There's also an event uh, every third Thursday of the month where we have a speaker. At, we just had one yesterday, uh, a fantastic uh, speaker about not just setting goals, but actually executing your goals. Uh, a wonderful speaker. Uh, that's a monthly session. And we are uh, launching the Women in Retirement uh, Council mentorship program. This is a program that started with NAPA and now it's out to all the, the sister orgs where we're pairing mentors and mentees uh, who you know want to want to learn more from a from a peer or somebody that has maybe a little bit more experience in the industry and creating the network and accessibility for women to connect with other women with some of the unique challenges you know, that we might face as women, but also just career development. And uh, I have found so much value in being able to make connections with, you know, the, with the women in the industry, primarily through the, the Napa Summit. And it's such a joy to be able to, you know, be a little bit of the puppet master. Uh, earlier this week, we were doing pairings because we've, we've launched the site to, uh, to submit to be either a mentor and a mentee and to be able to say, yeah, I think this person and this person based on what they're looking for would be a great match. And we had a conference call from the Napa pairings. There were about 12 pairings that we had initially with Napa. And I almost started to cry um, uh, when we had got this feedback. We asked everyone to come together and say, hey, you've been in this program for a little over a year. Give us some feedback as we launch it. What did we miss? What was great? What should we keep doing? What would have been helpful? And the feedback was like, this changed my life kind of stuff. And that is, uh, the feeling is kind of indescribable. It just fills you up with joy to, to think that, you know, something we did was so meaningful in someone else's life and that, you know, people are working so hard to help others. That's why I love this industry. I just absolutely love our industry because it feels like there's enough to go around and we can all lift each other up. Love it. Let's do one more question. It's the okay. magic wand. So if you could wave the magic wand, change anything in the world, what would you do, Aaron? Ross, I'm a real believer in, you know, things happen for a reason. 
Um, my husband is a big believer in, you know, when something happens, when it seems good or it seems bad, you don't really know in the moment if it's good or bad. And so we always say in our family, well, we'll see. Was this good or bad? We'll see. So it's hard for me to say what I would change. And the thing I kept coming back to is uh, the Bills winning a Super Bowl. 90s or, or this year, the Super Bowls in LA. I'm just saying should, to align the stars and get the Bills uh, to hoist that Lombardi trophy, that's what I would change. I know it's pretty trivial to some, but as a Western New Yorker and a diehard member of Bill's Mafia, that's what I would change. You know, I think there's some people that may not quite understand how important that is. Um, I'm from Cleveland, Ohio. I, I am a lifelong Browns fan. And I get a little choked up hearing you talk about winning a Super Bowl because I get it. Yeah, I'm yeah. there. I'm with you. Would I use my one magic wand yeah. wish on that? I'm not saying no. I, I'm, I'm, so I'm with you here. I mean, I get it. It's a powerful thing. Maybe we'd give you two waves instead of that, but uh, go Bills, go Browns. Loved having you on the show, Aaron. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Outcomes. Subscribe now to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Advisor 2X. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service providers with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.